Good morning, good morning, good morning. What's up and praise the Lord, everyone. It is a beautiful day to give God some praise today. And so I encourage you wherever you are, whatever you are doing, I don't care who you are with, I encourage you to stop and give God some praise today. Why? Because who but God woke you up this morning and started you on your way? Who but God gave you the activity in your limbs? And brothers and sisters, if you didn't have the strength to rise from your bed this morning, and if you don't have the activities of your limbs, then if you can hear my voice, it means that you have breath in your lungs. And the Bible teaches us that let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so I encourage you to give God some praise today, not only because I'm encouraging you, but God also commands it. Amen. So I have a word for you today. I'm excited to share this word with you. Um, I've been praying on it for the past two days and just hoping that it blesses you according to his will. But before we dive into the word, let's touch base with our creator. Heavenly Father who art in heaven, we just want to thank you. We say thank you for waking us up this morning. We say thank you for all that you have been, all that you have done, and all that you continue to do. We do not forget the sacrifice that you made on Calvary, and so we say thank you. We just want you to know that we are in deep gratitude, Heavenly Father. We love you because you first loved us. We bless you because you first blessed us. And so if you never do another thing in our lives, we take this moment right now to say thank you. We say these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so inspirational speaker Les Brown once said this, the graveyard is the richest place on earth because it is here that you will find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid to take the first step. Now, some of you have heard that before, and for some of you, it's the first time you've heard it, but Interestingly, it strikes a chord with all of us. Why? Because perhaps you or someone you know have been holding on to that idea, that song, that book, that invention, and you're afraid to take the first step because you fear the unknown outcome. Well, brothers and sisters, I have a word today that declares the outcome does not have to be unknown any longer. And so the Lord put this message on my heart some time ago, and for one reason or another, I couldn't connect all of the dots to get the full scope of the message, but then the same message will put back on my heart uh, not too long ago when I was watching this movie called Harriet. Now, Harriet is a movie that tells a version of the story of the Harriet Tubman. And as many of you know, Harriet Tubman is an American icon, an African-American icon who escaped from enslavement. On foot, she made her way from Maryland into Pennsylvania and then subsequently made estimated 13 missions back into slave country, back onto the plantation that she escaped from and helped approximately 70 enslaved people to escape using the Underground Railroad. Now, in the movie, she was originally intending to escape with her husband, but in the process, he got caught and she went on to freedom. Now, I'm speculating here, brothers and sisters, but I imagine that some of us would have lost hope, some of us would have given up or perhaps even surrendered to be with our significant other but Harriet had an idea. Harriet's idea was to make it to Philly, which she did. She said that she would get situated and set up shop, which she did. And then about a year later, she would return to get her husband. And about one year later, she attempted to do just that. So Harriet returned to Maryland, not because she was crazy, but because she was determined to be with the love of her life. But her husband hadn't heard from her in over a year. And so he assumed that the worst had happened to Harriet. And so... He remarried and even had children. Despite that fact, Harriet still tried to encourage him to escape with her, and he refused. And as you can imagine, Harriet was devastated, and she found herself in the middle of the woods crying and yelling at God, and she said this, Why, Lord, I listened to your voice. You led me here. Why did you let me make it all the way back here just to rub mud in my face 
Why did you let me live? It was later revealed in the movie that Harriet understood that returning to free her husband was her idea. But God's plan wasn't for her to free a man, but to return and free many men. And so today I'd like to speak to you from a simple subject that I have entitled, God's Plans, Man's Ideas. The scripture will come from Proverbs 19.21, and I'll be reading for your listening from the, standard, the English Standard Version. The scripture says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I repeat, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Now, there's no compelling story to unpack in this scripture here. But what we do know about Proverbs, which was primarily written by Solomon, is that Proverbs speaks truth to life. It talks about human nature and consequences of righteous and wicked behavior. And throughout the Proverbs, uh, Solomon would offer these couplets or these pairs that offer comparison between opposites like good and evil, holy, unholy, righteous, unrighteous, etc. And so today we're going to be comparing God's plans with man's ideas. And like you, brothers and sisters, I know that there's no real comparison. But if we don't strive to gain understanding of this message, I am afraid that we'll continue to miss the point like so many others have, including those that had firsthand experiences walking and talking with God or Jesus. For instance, several years back, I had what I thought was a great opportunity to become a co-owner in this music business, this, this business in the music industry. Um, I was beyond excited to work with a few young brothers that I had known. Um, I trusted these brothers, I cared for these brothers, I loved them, and I still do. Uh, I thought that I could trust these brothers, therefore I thought that I could trust the situation. But two years and $30,000 later, unbeknownst to me, the business was dissolved, not a dollar was made, and friendships were destroyed. Like Harriet, I found myself pacing back and forth and yelling at God, saying, How could you play me like this, Lord? I am a decent dude just trying to live right. Why couldn't you just let this one thing work for me? And here's the funny thing, brothers and sisters. I found the time and energy to be upset with God and to talk to him then, but I didn't take the time and energy to consult God about my idea. I didn't seek his wisdom. I didn't ask him for his guidance. All I could think about was the possibilities of making some extra money. And so it wasn't a surprise to me that the business venture had failed miserably. You see, I had an idea, but it didn't include God's plans or purpose for my life. And even if you can't relate to that particular story, most people understand exactly what I mean when I say that too many of us too often try to elevate our ideas over God's plans. He tells us to go left, but going right looks a little easier, and so we go. He commands us to be content with what we have and where we are in the moment, but we desire more and higher, and so we ignore all of his signs and we pursue our own ideas. It's been happening since the beginning of time, and if you don't believe me, just go back and reread the story of Adam and Eve. In fact, when I read the Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand I immediately begin to think about all of the biblical characters that tried to elevate their ideas over God's plans. And the first person that came to mind was Moses. Ironically, Harriet Tubman was known as the Moses to her people. Through God, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. And through God, Harriet led the enslaved out of Maryland and other places. But if we go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 17, the people of Israel had been freed from captivity. Uh, and there came a point when they were wandering in the wilderness of Zen. It wasn't long before they began to grumble at Moses because they were thirsty. 
they demanded Moses provide them with water. Can you imagine? Just think about that. Can you imagine? I just freed you from slavery, and now you're going to say, yo, brother Ed, I, need, I know you freed me from slavery, but I'm thirsty. Because you took me out of Egypt, you are now responsible for getting some water to us, and we need it like now. Can you imagine? Now, we really never know how we would respond in a situation until we are in it, but... If I had to take a guess about how I may have responded, I am imagining that it would have sounded something like, my man, if you turn around and walk for about 10 days that way, take a ride at the two dead donkeys and the three empty bread baskets, walk for another three days, and never mind the buzzes that are flying over your head, you'll arrive in Egypt, and I am pretty sure that they have some fresh water there. But clearly, I wasn't the right man for the job. Moses did it the right way. He turned to God. So Moses went to God and he was like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? These people are ready to kill me. And to make a long story short, God told Moses to take the staff that he used to strike the Nile, go strike a rock, water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And so Moses took that rod, he struck a rock, water came out, and the people drank. It was just that easy, brothers and sisters, and it doesn't get much easier than that. God gave the plan. God gave the purpose. The purpose came with the promise, and so it was. Then essentially the same story resurfaces in the book of Numbers, chapter 20. The same ungrateful people uh, were complaining again. This time they didn't have enough grain and figs and vines and, of course, water. So Moses, this time with his brother Aaron, I'm sorry, his brother Aaron, went to God about it. In Numbers, chapter 20, uh, verse 8, God said, take the staff, assemble the congregation. I want you and Aaron to tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. You shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. So now they're going to get a double portion of water. So again, God gave them the plan. He gave them the purpose. The purpose came with the promise. But Moses had an idea. Instead of tell the rock, Moses decided to strike the rock. Now, I wasn't there, brothers and sisters, but I can only imagine Aaron taking two steps back and saying, hold up, big bro. I'm pretty sure God said, tell the rock and not strike the rock. But instead, Moses struck the rock, not once, but twice against God's will. But check this out, brothers and sisters. The water still came flowing from the rock, and the people and their cattle still drank. Now listen to me, because I don't want anyone to miss this. The scripture says, but it is the purpose of the Lord that shall stand. In other words, we might disobey God to pursue our own ideas, but we do not have the power to change the purpose in his plan. If you agree with that and you're out there, type amen in the comments for us. Now, Moses struck the rock. Water came flowing. The people and their cattle drink. So Moses didn't shift the purpose in God's plan, but he did mess up a promise that was made to the people. So God said to Moses and Aaron in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verse 12, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. God was saying, because you didn't follow my simple plan, because you tried to be me instead of representing me, and, and because you tried to create your own plans or elevate your plan over my promise, now you will no longer receive my promise. And if we look closely at the last sentence in Numbers uh, chapter 20, verse 12, we'll notice that God was speaking in past tense. He said, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. 
The land was already theirs, which tells me the plan was set, the purpose was solidified, and the promise was golden. But because Moses tried to elevate his ideas over God's plan, an entire generation of Israelites missed out on the promised land. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. If you are a parent or a guardian, you have to take heed to this message. If you have been called to shepherd God's people, no matter the capacity, you have to take heed to this message. If you hold a leadership position at your workplace, please take heed because it is painfully clear to me that one wrong idea can have a fatal impact on an entire household, an entire church, an entire community, even an entire generation of people. Now, some of you might be thinking, and you're making a big deal out of nothing. As long as my ideas have great intentions, then I should be good, right? Wrong. This is not an effort to evaluate your moral compass, brothers and sisters. I am talking specifically about living out our purpose in God, despite our own ideas. Moses had great intentions, too. Harriet Tubman had some great intentions, too, when she decided to go back to get her husband. But the fact remains that their ideas weren't in God's plans. Therefore, they weren't serving his purpose. And consequently, he wasn't getting the glory. And that is what is important, brothers and sisters. Good intentions aren't always good enough. Do you remember Sarah, Abraham's wife? She had an idea with good intentions, too. Sarah wanted her husband to have a son. But the problem was Sarah was barren at the time and could not reproduce, but God had a plan. In fact, God promised Abraham that Sarah would be a mother of nations and that she would conceive and bear a son. But 11 years passed after God made that promise and Sarah began to wrestle with her faith and she began to believe that God wasn't going to come through on his promise. And so she, like most of us would have done, tried to elevate her idea over God's plan in her defense Sarah was somewhere between 80 and 90 years old at the time. And so by today's standards, she would have been a great, great grandmother. And in some states, she would have been a great, great, great grandmother. But Sarah had this servant named Hagar and she decided to give Hagar to her husband as a concubine. And so she wanted Abraham and Hagar to lay down so that they can procreate. And keep in mind, this is in accordance to the customs of that day. And so Abraham and Hagar became one for night and sure enough, Hagar conceived. And so initially, it sounds like Sarah had an idea that had some success, right? Wrong. You see, Sarah had an idea to ensure that Abraham had a son. But God's plan was not just for Abraham to have a son, but for Sarah to have a child because the purpose was to create a covenant with her child. So watch what happens when we step outside of God's plans. Hagar did exactly what she was told to do. Her actions yielded the results that Sarah was hoping to see. But eventually Sarah despised her for it and Sarah began to abuse her emotionally, socially, verbally, physically. And so Hagar took her child and fled into the desert to escape the resentments. So the plan actually didn't turn out the way Sarah was expecting. And I know it sounds like this is headed towards a horrible end, but it doesn't. And here's why. God remains true to his promises and his purpose. I said it once before and I'll say it again. We might deviate from God's plan, but we do not have the power to change his purpose. God continues to work through us and in us despite our misguided human effort. And so eventually Sarah had her son. His name is Isaac. And God's covenant was made and kept with him. Hagar had Ishmael and the promises that were made uh, to them by God was, was kept with them. Not because Sarah had a good idea, brothers and sisters, but because God's mercy is so great. His sovereign will is accomplished. And regardless of our shortcomings as human beings. 
And if we were in person right now, this would be the point when someone would say, thank you, Jesus. So there's so many others that had to learn the hard way, brothers and sisters, about trying to elevate their ideas over God's plans. People like Adam, Eve, Jacob, David, Thomas, Jezebel, Paul, Jonah, Delilah, you, me, that list goes on. In fact, perhaps some of you are wondering right now why so many of your great ideas just won't come to fruition. You know in your mind, you know in your heart, you sometimes even feel it in your spirit that it is a good idea, but you just can't seem to get it off the ground. I'd argue today that when contemplating an idea, we have to ask ourselves two fundamental questions. And I'm not suggesting that these are the only questions we need to be asking ourselves, but if we are not asking ourselves these two fundamental questions, I declare that our ideas may never see the light of day. The first question is this. Are my ideas in agreement with God's purpose over my life? Again, are my ideas in agreement with God's purpose over my life? I believe no matter who you ask, wherever you are, when you ask them in the world, everyone will agree that everything is created except God himself. I believe no matter who you ask, wherever you are in the world, everyone agrees that everything that is created has a purpose. And the creator of the thing knows and understands the purpose of the thing. Why? Because they created it. In other words, the person who created a car can talk to you about travel. The person who created a watch can talk to you about time. The person who created the phone, the light bulb, the perm, the band-aid, etc. They can talk to you about the purpose of those things. Why? Because they created those things. Therefore, I can't talk to you about my purpose apart from God because I didn't create me. God is my creator. And so if I ever want to understand the plan and the promise and the position that God has given me in this world, then I have to seek my purpose in him. And let's be very straightforward here, brothers and sisters. God created you too. Your parents helped to bring you into the world as we know it. But God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And to my brothers and sisters who believe that they evolved from a monkey cool, because God created the monkey too. And for those of you who believe in that Big Bang Theory, cool, you might be on to something. Because in the beginning, the earth was without form and void and the darkness was over the face of the deep. The Lord said, let there be light and bang, there was light. He saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the dark and he named the light day and the darkness night. And then he said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters and bang. The water separated, revealing a firmament that God calls heaven. Hopefully you can see where I am taking this point, brothers and sisters. Uh, Colossians 1.16 says it plain, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him for him. I declare that if you are ever going to live out your purpose in God, you are going to have to come to this one simple truth. So you might be wondering, how do I know if my ideas are in alignment with God's purpose for my life? This leads us to the second question we simply ask, are my ideas directly connected to giving God the glory? The Bible teaches us that followers of Christ ought to be imitators of Christ. Therefore, whatever we do, all that we do must be to give God the glory. Our ideas, whatever they are, cannot be separate from our purpose in him. Now, am I saying that everything you do that is not connected to God is going to fail? No. We have seen many people find impressive success and accomplishments 
without having a relationship with God. But the question then becomes, how do you define success and who gets to set the standard? Now, can I elevate a business idea tomorrow without God? Yes. Can I flourish and be successful in that business? Yes. Can I potentially become rich and distinguished? Yes. Will it strengthen my relationship with God? No. Will it help me to enter the kingdom of heaven? No. Will it make me more like Jesus? No. So then I ask, what's the purpose anyway? In Mark 8, 36, it says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So as a child of God myself, it doesn't make sense for me to have it all or even desire to have it all if it does nothing for my soul or for the kingdom of God. I am not saying you need to cancel all of your ideas or rearrange all of the plans that you've made over the past several years, although some of you may need to do just that. All I am encouraging you to understand is that you should never settle for an idea that leads to momentary success and miss out on God's plan that promises monumental blessings. And if you agree, I dare you to write amen in the comments. And as I encourage us to think about uh, what it means to live out God's purpose and to live according to his plans and not our, not our own ideas, I realize it could be helpful for us to think about and talk about what that looks like. And so for the next few minutes, I'm going to identify five signs that you are not living in his purpose, followed by five ways to reclaim your purpose in God. So the first sign that you are not living in his purpose says this, you choose sin over sanctity. In other words, you are pointedly deciding to live in sin. You disregard or you disobey uh, the word of God. You express disbelief that the Bible is the word of God. You might even reject Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is as straightforward as it is going to be. If this is you, then you are living outside of his purpose. The second sign that you are not living in his purpose says you feel lost. If you feel like you are aimlessly walking through the world, you're just going through the motions, but you have no idea where you are going, why you are going there or what you're going to do when or if you get there. That is a sign that you are living outside of God's purpose. And I deliberately say living outside of God's purpose because the Bible is clear that God created everything with a purpose. But he also gave us time and free will. And so it is up to us to decide how we are going to live out that time and what we are going to do with the choices that we are given. So if you are feeling lost, it is likely you are in need of purpose. God has the answer. The third sign that you are not living in his purpose, you lack joy. If you are living in God's purpose, then you have joy unspeakable in everything that you do. Now, don't confuse joy with happiness because happiness is conditional, it's contingent on something else. For instance, when people have money, they sometimes appear to be happy. But when the money is gone, they are unhappy. When people find love, they appear to be happy. But when the love leaves, then they are unhappy. Some people have, don't find any happiness unless there is something that's going to elevate who they are. But I came to tell you today that you do not need to seek happiness. It is joy that you have to be after. Some of the poorest people in the world are the most joyful people in the world. Despite their hardships with health, despite their financial challenges, despite the fact that they have had failed job search after failed job search. Why? Because the joy 
of the Lord is in their spirits and it's in their hearts. Why? Because we understand that we can be dead broke in the world and still be ridiculously rich in the spirit. We know that man's love is fickle, but the love of the Lord is eternal. Whether you succeed or fail by man's standard, you are loved by Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, he will never give up on you. Never turn away. Never waver, wander, or relent in his love for you. Therefore, joy is a choice. It's a choice to be grateful in all things. And so if you are lacking joy in your life, it is likely that you need purpose and God has the answer. The fourth sign that you are not living in his purpose, excuse me, his purpose, you don't spend alone time with God. If you haven't spent time with God uh, in a while, then you are missing out, brothers and sisters. To be in relationship with God is to consistently spend time with him. Just as a son wants to spend time with his earthly father, I have the desire to spend time with my heavenly father. Just as a son turns to his father for guidance and direction, I have to seek guidance and direction and purpose in my heavenly father. Just as most of us wouldn't like it if our children only came to us when they wanted something, Jesus would appreciate if we treated him like God and not like Santa Claus. We have to make God the center of our agenda. Stop trying to squeeze time in for Jesus and you have to create the rest of your agenda around the time that you are spending with God. And please don't go to God just to ask for mercy and goodness. Don't go to God just to uh, ask for financial freedom or ask to be pulled out of a storm. We have to spend some quality time with Jesus in conversation, in spiritual harmony, undisturbed, and we have to aim to make it a daily routine. We need it and God wants it. The fifth sign that you are not living in his purpose, you are drifting away. Have you ever heard the story about a Christian who prayed to God for a better job and then they got the better job? They prayed to have a higher salary and then they got the raise. They prayed to have a spouse to share all of this goodness with and behold, shortly thereafter, they were married. But now that they have all that they acquired and all of the things that they desired, all of their attention goes to maintaining the job, increasing the pay, or pleasing their spouse. Now they don't have time, energy, or even excitement for church anymore. They used to pray two times a day. Now they might pray twice a week. If that sounds like you, then you are drifting away from your purpose, brothers and sisters. You have mistaken your worldly gains as fruit of the Spirit. And I have to tell you that it is not so. You have drifted. It is time to reclaim your purpose. God has the answer. Now, it is my prayer that none of the above applies to you, but if it does, that's okay because there is always hope. The author of one of my favorite movies, The Lord of the Rings, his name is like J.R.R. Tolkien or something like that. He said, not all who wander are lost. It just might be time to reclaim your purpose. And so now I'm going to give you these uh, five different signs that you can re or ways that you can reclaim your purpose. The first thing I'm going to encourage you to do is get baptized. Now listen to me, brothers and sisters, don't get lost in the weeds on this one. Every time I try to encourage someone to get baptized, they always come back at me with 101 questions. Do I really need to be baptized for salvation? Do I need to be baptized to get into heaven? Do I need to be baptized to have a relationship with Jesus? Do I need the baptism for this and or for that? Here is what I can tell you. Peter told us in Acts 2.38 that repenting and being baptized is for the remission of sins. Jesus tells us in Mark 16, 16, that whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. And what did it for me, brothers and sisters, is when I learned in the book of Matthew that Jesus got baptized himself, saying, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
If you have never gone public with your faith and been baptized, I encourage, even challenge you to do so. And if for no other reason, I encourage you to see the baptism as a public declaration that you are choosing a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is claiming the purpose over your life. The second step for reclaiming your purpose, you have to dive into the word of God. Once you have declared Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, one of the best ways to get to know him and to search God is to seek purpose in him through his word. You have to be patient. It's not always easy, but it is always necessary. Now, you won't find any scripture that's going to tell you that you should become a construction worker or a film director or a dance instructor. The Bible is not a career inventory test, but Psalms 119.105 teaches us that the word is a lamp at our feet and a light to our path. God brings light to the path that otherwise seemed dark and uncertain. And the beauty behind it all is the fact that God can fulfill his purpose in all the things that we do. It is up to us to read the word and to seek direction and to seek understanding. It is up to us to reclaim our purpose. The third step to reclaiming your purpose, go to God in prayer. Although God communicates with us through the word and the Holy Spirit within us, our way to communicate back to God is through prayer. Communication has always been a two-way street. All relationships require two-way communication. And our relationship with God is no different. I have found that the more we communicate with God, the more intimate our relationship becomes. Now, some have argued that war can be defined as a breakdown in communication. So I contend that if you are not in communication with God, if you are not opening up to him through prayer, then it only makes sense that you are struggling with your spiritual warfare. In fact, the enemy is banking on you not communicating with God. So try to think of it this way. Whenever someone offends or hurts the feelings of a child, the first thing that child tends to say, not always, but in most cases, the first thing that child tends to say is, I'm going to tell my daddy. There's a level of security there. And talking to God in prayer offers us the same level of security. So the fourth step to reclaiming your purpose is to follow his direction. Many of you ask God for direction, but then you always end up going your own way anyway. But I want to read to you a devotional that came to me, and it says this. Just because a step seems to make sense doesn't mean it's best to take it. God's word tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are greater than ours. That's in Isaiah 55. So even when a decision makes sense to us, we need to cling to God just as closely as we do when it doesn't make sense to us. When we keep our eyes on God and our hearts open for his direction, we can rest assured that we're going to go in the right way, regardless whether it is the way that makes most sense to us or not. We just have to choose to follow his direction. And the fifth and final step to reclaiming your purpose, simple, trust God. Trying to discover and live out your purpose in God is going to require you to trust him completely. You're going to have to surrender it all. It won't always be peaches and cream, but trust that the Lord will lead you where he wants you to go. Listen to me. God wants us to have peace, and so he leads us beside still waters. He wants us to be whole, and so he restores our soul. He knows that we cannot do it without him, and so he leads us on a path of righteousness for his name's sake. All we have to do is choose him and trust him. That is, trust that his word is true, and he is not a man that he should not lie. So there was a scene in Harriet when she was leading a group of enslaved people out of, on, on an escape. 
At one particular point on the journey, Harriet had some intuition that danger was ahead and so she quickly changed the course. And shortly after, they arrived at a riverbank. It was pitch black dark. They had a few elders with them and a young woman carrying an infant. They were trapped between the hound dogs that were on their trail and the riverbank that was in front of them. And so just like the people of Israel uh, became disgruntled with Moses, these folks began to grumble at Harriet. Now what? We are sure to get caught and be killed here, one of them said. Right then, Harriet began to walk into the river. She couldn't swim. In fact, none of them could swim. The rest of the folks just stared at her as if she was crazy. And the truth is, sometimes to live out our purpose in God, we have to do things that are crazy or even look crazy to others. But sure enough, inch by inch, uh, Harriet walked out and water made its way up to her shoulders and then her neck and then her chin. Harriet paused and she prayed. Heavenly Father, rivers of the living water flow through me. Lord, help me cross. Lead me through. She continued to wade through the water with her hands lifted high, uncertain about what was going to happen next. But more importantly, she was unworried about what was going to happen next. Why? Because she was trusting in Jesus. And surely as she continued to walk inch by inch, the water decreased from her chin to her neck, to her shoulders, to her waist. Harriet and the rest of the members in that group trudged through that water into their freedom. Brothers and sisters, I have to ask you, what ideas do you have that might not be in agreement with God's plans? Which plan do you have that does not serve God's purpose? You have to recommit to him. I once heard a wise man say that the most important thing you need to know in this world is that God loves you. And the most important thing you can do is to love him back. Recommit to him. And I leave you with Proverbs 16 um, verses, I'm sorry, yeah, 16 verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, commit your work to God and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. When it is all said and done, you will have to be able to say that I trusted the Lord with all of my heart. I did not lean on my own understanding in all of my ways. I acknowledged him and my path was good. Why? Because God directed it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father who art in heaven, we just want to say thank you, Heavenly Father, for waking us up this morning with you on our mind and in our hearts. We just are so grateful for all that you have done, Heavenly Father. We are grateful for the message that you put before us and we pray that it plants a seed, a seed of transformation in the hearts of everyone who hears it, Heavenly Father. I pray that I continuously decrease as you increase in me, Heavenly Father. And I pray that all of my brothers and sisters in Christ will surrender themselves to you completely. We want you to have your way, Heavenly Father. We want to live out your will. We want your plan to take hold on our lives, Heavenly Father. We want it to supersede any idea we may ever have. We can't do it without you. And so we call out to you. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.